Hello, and welcome to another edition of Forrester's CX Cast. Each week, we speak with an analyst from the customer experience team about their research or discuss a customer experience topic in the news. Along with my co-host, analyst Deanna Lawfer, my name is Sam Stern. You will hear both of our voices each week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Forrester's CX Cast. You are listening to Sam Stern, Senior Analyst on the CX team here at Forrester, and I'm joined this week, as always, by my co-host, Deanna Lawfer. Hi, Sam. But this week, Deanna is going to be interviewed by me about one of her recent research reports um, about the sharing economy. And so, Deanna... Um, I'm always a little confused by the term, the sharing economy, because uh, that sort of implies going back to, you know, uh, pre-money days of, of bartering, trading, you know, um, my sack of flour for your, um, you know, your blacksmith tools or something. What, what do we mean by the sharing economy? What are we actually talking about here? Yeah, it's not that kumbaya situation that you just described. Um, So there's lots of companies in the sharing economy that most people have probably heard of. Um, Uber and Airbnb are the biggest. There's also thousands of other small businesses. And what makes them this part of the sharing economy or what the sharing economy is, is it's the sharing of excess capital or capacity, whether it's a physical good like a car or a power tool or apartment or whether it's people's time and skills. And they're shared amongst people that do pay for the services, but they they do them on a common platform. And these companies, what they do is they run that common platform um, through which the goods are shared. And they really represent a different mindset where customers increasingly, instead of wanting to owning goods, won't own goods, they want to access goods. And these platforms give them a place where they can do that. Okay. So the idea is they're bringing together someone who has a spare resource um, or an extra resource with someone who needs that resource but doesn't need it enough to want to own it themselves. Is that a way of thinking about it? Right. You probably have a power drill in your basement that you use twice a year. Um, and every time I have to charge the battery, and every time to charge the battery, I have to find where I put the uh, the charging cable. Yes? Yes. Yeah, so your next door neighbor, um, if he knows you well, maybe he will ask to borrow it instead of buying one. But since most people don't really know their neighbors these days, now there's a place where you can go on a platform and see who in my neighborhood has a power drill that I can borrow or a spare piece of land where you can garden. Um, or really any type of excess capacity that you're not using every day, any of that is is prime for sharing. Gotcha. So what industries are we talking about here? You know, you think of Uber, so transportation. You think of Airbnb, so lodging. Um, you've mentioned power tools now, so uh, hardware, you know, um, home improvement. But what else are we talking about? It really crosses all industries, even ones you wouldn't think about, like insurance. Um, oh. But... The ones that I have mentioned are probably the biggest, hospitality, transportation, um, and also finance. So, for example, in hospitality, guests are increasingly favoring places like HomeAway or Roomarama or Airbnb instead of traditional hotels. And, in fact, Airbnb now offers a million rooms worldwide, which is more than any of the biggest hotel conglomerates, bigger than than Hilton 
and bigger than intercontinental hotels. Wow. Um, and there was a statistic I found that was interesting, which is that at the World Cup in Brazil, one in five attendees stayed at an Airbnb. One in five attendees stayed at an Airbnb at the last World Cup. That's impressive. Yes. Um, and in the finance industry, the sharing economy is disrupting traditional banks through peer-to-peer lending. So if I have extra money lying around that I might normally put in a bank, I could lend it to you um, if you need to, if you want to do like a small home project or you're trying to consolidate your credit cards. And these services charge less money because they don't have the infrastructure of the bank. So it's great for you because you get better interest terms. And it's great for me because I get a better return on my money. And so there's lots of services like that. Um, Lending Club is probably the biggest one. They've facilitated more than seven and a half billion in peer-to-peer loans, including about a billion and a half last quarter alone. So they're they're growing pretty fast. Um, They're obviously not at the size of the whole banking industry in this country, but their their exponential growth is is pretty amazing. Okay, so in essence, I mean, I could share, you know, I could loan my brother money, or I could borrow um, an egg from my next door neighbor, or my really good friend might give me a ride to the airport. And now you're turning anyone in the world into that good friend, that brother, that neighbor who can loan you those things for um, partial use and charging a fee to do it. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So this sounds like it has tremendous potential to disrupt these industries, and you highlighted the disruption that's already happening. And yet, you know, we had the dot-com bubble, we had the housing bubble, and I've heard a lot of people refer to um, Uber's $40 billion valuation or whatever it is as the next bubble. Is this a bubble, do you think? Is this a fad? Is this going to pass, or is this here to stay? I don't think it's a fad, and there are four major socio economic trends that I'm seeing that are really fueling the growth of these type of types of companies. Um, the first is the recent economic volatility. So the recession in 2008 created a surge of unemployed individuals looking for part-time work. And even as the economy has, um, has gotten better, the number of people that are working involuntarily part-time, so they're choosing part-time jobs, has gone up even as as, or excuse me, the number of people voluntarily choosing to work part-time has gone up even as those people that worked involuntarily, so couldn't find full-time jobs, even as that is going down because they are finding full-time jobs. So, so people are, people want to work part-time. They want to have more flexibility in these jobs, in their jobs. And some of these businesses in the sharing economy, like TaskRabbit and Fiverr and Uber provide um, provide an outlet for people to, to do those part-time jobs and pl- provide more flexibility than a typical nine to five. So it's attractive to a lot of individuals. That's really interesting because you're, what you're saying is when, you know, when the economy's in recession and unemployment's high, this is a way to try and make some money on the side. But even when the economy is doing better, it's a way to either supplement your income or a way for people to be flexible about when they work. If they're, you know, if they're a, you know, parent who's, who's watching kids, they can work on the weekends, or if they um, have a main job, but it doesn't have quite enough uh, income for them, then they can supplement it. So, so it's interesting that it's not all cycles of the economy. This is something that you're seeing people take to. Exactly. Um, Airbnb estimates that 
the typical host in Boston can earn about $8,000 a year renting out their room. Obviously not every night, but that's a nice little piece of supplemental income. And Relay Rides, which is a platform for renting out your car to um, strangers in your neighborhood when you're not using it, estimates that you can make about 250 bucks a month. So that's a really good chunk of your car payment for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I talked about four kind of major trends. That's, that was the first trend, the, the kind of the economic um, crisis spurring it, but also it, it, keep, it keeps going. The second major force here is mass urbanization. So more Americans now live in urban centers than any time since the U.S. Census has been tracking this. So about 80% of Americans live in urban centers now. You can compare that to it used to be about 64% in 1950. And this isn't just a U.S. phenomenon. Today, over half the world's population lives in urban centers. And, and what that means is that the increasing population density fuels the kind of sharing that otherwise couldn't happen. So sharing garden tools, sharing cars, all of these things are now one or two doors away. Um, and so there's more people with more stuff living closer together to make the, the sharing easy, that much easier. Exactly. And even when services aren't locally available, it doesn't matter because that's when the third big force comes into play, which is ubiquitous connectivity enabled by everybody and their mother having smartphones and always being connected. So the, the smartphones enable sharing on a global scale because you can um, you can unlock a nearby zip car without having to go get a key from the rental car counter, um, or you can request on-demand services from services like Lyft anytime, anywhere. Right. Um, and then finally, the last the last change that I think is providing momentum for the sharing economy is a change in what consumers value. So, so some indicators um, are recycling rates have grown significantly since 1985. Um, so has interest in sustainability, especially among the millennial generation. And these younger generations are driving less and even delaying obtaining driver's licenses. And, and so these types, of, these types of behaviors favor things like car sharing and alternative modes of transportation over owning a vehicle, over owning a lot of stuff. Gotcha. So as you become more conscience, conscious of your consumption, um, then the sharing economy business models appeal to you because you don't have to buy stuff and own stuff and throw stuff away as often. Right. And also all these people living in urban centers probably don't have a lot of space to be owning all of this stuff. That's a good stuff. point. So, Diana, we are about 10 minutes into CXCast, this, this CXCast episode, and we haven't talked about customer experience yet. So please bring this back for our audience here and tell us why customer experience professionals should care about the sharing economy. You wrote a whole report about that, but why, why is this important to them? Yeah, so I promise this has to do with customer experience. <laughs> so, so the way that these businesses are leveraging these trends I talked about to create new experiences, they're, they're not really meeting unmet demand. They're actually creating more demand in the marketplace because, I would argue, of the high quality of the customer experiences that they deliver. Um, Uber is perhaps the best example of convenience driving demand. The taxi market in San Francisco is about $140 million um, a year. Uber's revenue in San Francisco, on the other hand, is about $500 million a year. So wow. that's three and a half times bigger than the whole taxi market in the first place. 
And so Uber created a service that looks a lot like taxis with, you know, maybe a better customer experience, but has vastly overtaken the taxi market, at least in part because of the convenience it brings to customers. So they unlocked demand that wasn't there when you only had taxis charging one rate, so you couldn't get it if it was raining or on a Friday night and uh, cars were dirty and um, was hard to get them to come to certain parts of the city, perhaps. Absolutely. And the other thing is, I think there's this fallacy that there's a trade-off between price and customer experience, that you have to pay more for better customer experience. And Uber has also kind of done away with that, with UberX at least. It's sometimes more cost-effective than taxis and does provide a a better service. So again, um, they're setting higher expectations for what experiences are possible, that are convenient, that are cost-effective. Um, another example of a cost-effective experience um, in the sharing economy is dog vacay, which is mm-hmm. sort of called the Airbnb for uh, for kennels, for dogs, I guess. Um, it allows you to find a neighbor to watch your dog when you're on away when you're away on vacation. And it often provides that service at half the price of a local kennel. Oh wow. So um, so better service with somebody that you know is going to care for your dog, and it's cheaper than taking them to your local kennel. We've recently been highlighting in our research the importance of emotion. And it was um, it's now becoming something we've written about enough that I think we all maybe are starting to get used to it. But it was counterintuitive to me at first that we found in our data that emotion was actually a bigger driver of people's customer experience uh, perceptions than was um, the effectiveness or the ease of the interaction. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, you've described some of the sort of um, emotional pieces of um, these sharing economy experiences, but I'm wondering how does emotion play in to, to the sharing economy experiences that you've been talking about specifically? Yeah, I mean, we've kind of been talking about this, about the idea of bringing neighbors together sociology research has found that individuals need to connect with each other on a on a human level is as fundamental as the need for food and water now that sounds crazy and maybe you don't believe that but um but it is a crucial element of happiness creating those human connections and today more than one in four households has just a single person and compare that to 40 years ago it was one in six and 100 years ago only one in 20 households was a one-person household so Part of that is that Americans are marrying later, they're having fewer children, they're divorcing at higher rates, they're living longer. So a lot more people are alone. They live alone, they dine alone. And these sharing economy companies fill those gaps in human connections by providing ways for people to find opportunities to connect with others, to meet strangers. Um, So Feastly, for example, is a service where instead of eating at a restaurant one night, maybe you can dine in another person's house Mm. and you can look up a menu online and, you know, you book it and you eat with a bunch of strangers. Um, Or instead of staying in a hostel, some people, especially younger ones, are opting to meet strangers and bunk um, on their couches using couch surfing. So, you know, I don't know if this appeals to everybody, but certainly there is a subset of people that that like these services because they allow them to connect with others um, and provide them that element of happiness. Yeah. So that all makes (laughs) sense, Deanna. Thank you. Um, Can you tell us, I mean, this sounds like for a lot of traditional companies, this is a huge potential disruption to their business models. And, And so what I'd like to know for our 
listeners, the, the CX professionals out there at these companies, um, what should they be doing to keep up with a sharing economy to sort of, you know, um, take on its lessons and, and make sure that their businesses continue to thrive? So one thing that a lot of businesses is doing is they're actually partnering with mm. sharing economy companies. Um, so, for example, um, either to provide a better customer experience or to to monetize excess capacity they have. So, for example, Marriott has partnered with Liquid Space to make some of its excess unused conference rooms available for people to rent, even those that aren't staying at the hotel. Mm. So a good way to, to monetize, monetize those assets. And... Um, I think Starwood Hotels recently partnered with Uber so that people on Uber could get points as part of the Starwood's rewards program. Even for companies that aren't going to take that risk um, or aren't ready to jump into the sharing economy themselves, they can learn a lot or even emulate what makes the experiences great of sharing economy companies. And part of the difference, I think, of why sharing economy companies are excelling at customer experience is the discipline to which they adhere to customer experience practices. Mm. And that's because they rely on the quality of the experience to create demand for their services or build trust with customers. So, for example, some of these sharing services like Boat Bound, where you can share a boat, um, or uh, Winolo for on-demand staffing, they rely on customer feedback and ratings to strengthen the quality and the safety of their services. So they have to constantly track CX metrics to gauge not only CX improvement, but also business success. Um, and Airbnb also obsesses over this measurement after each guest day, it requests feedback from hosts about their guests, mm -hmm. from guests about their hosts, and also from both parties about Airbnb itself. I mean, born in the age of the customer, right? These are all relatively new companies. It would, it does stand to reason to some degree, right, that they'd be more sensitive to customer experiences anyway, right? Because they're they're just they, they they feel that competitive pressure that that all companies feel to uh, deliver differentiated experiences. Absolutely, and you would think in some ways that they would be at a disadvantage because oftentimes they they don't have employees; they have contractors, so it's harder mm. to control or govern them. But even in that situation, they're taking steps to make sure that their, that their customer experience is good. So, for example, Dog Vacay um, exerts little control over the, the people that sign up for, to host dogs. But um, even though they're not employees, they emphasize customer-centric values when um, hiring those people to be hosts and also when hiring their own employees. So that's another way that they um, build discipline into their customer experience. Great. Well, thank you, Diana, for, for walking us through your new report. Uh, for people who are interested in learning more on what the sharing economy means for customer experience, can you um, give us the name of your report where they can go find out more information? Sure. Um, they can check out my report called Why the Sharing Economy Matters for Customer Experience Professionals. Um, I also recorded a webinar on this topic recently, so Forrester clients can check out that webinar on Forrester.com. Thank you, Diana, and thank you, listeners, for joining us for this week's CXCast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's CXCast. We'll post links to the reports we mentioned in the show notes for this podcast. And if you have questions or suggestions, please contact me at s-s-t-e-r-n at forrester.com. And remember, 
Your customer's perception is your CX reality.